Psalm Expressing the grace and the love that comes from Jesus. And it got me thinking, these stones, just like the ones scattered across the stage here, what if these stones, what if they weren't talking about something that happened in the past, they weren't talking about history, but instead they were talking about each of us. They were talking about you and me right now. What story would these stones share? If these stones are talking about you and me, then, then we got to ask a question. What would they say? What words would come out of their mouth? What would these stones say about us? That's the question I want you to wrestle with. And I know it's a big question. I mean, for some of us, they'd probably tell stories of contentment. I've never done anything too bad or anything too good. I've just sort of lived my life content. Pretty okay, right? And for some, they would probably tell a story of redemption. Like, oh, you, don't, you can't even imagine how far I've traveled from God and he brought me back. I was way deep in the valley of sin and God rescued me out of it. For some, they might tell a story of wealth or power, right? Like I've worked hard to create a safety net for my family. I've, I've worked my way up the corporate ladder. I have respect. I have authority. I have power. I have stuff. What would these stones say about you? For some, they tell a story of anger. Not sure exactly why, but I've lived my life with frustration, with a chip on my shoulder that I just can't get over. What do these stones say about you? For some, they tell a story of something that happened to them, leaving scars that have been difficult to overcome. Whether it's something that was by our control or not, the pain of loss or personal harm, whatever it is, it's shaped my life and it's created this valley that I've had trouble getting beyond. You know, I can't help but think that this is how the folks of First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, are feeling right now. Like their stories being shaped by the cruel acts around them that happened to them. And some, well, some would tell a story of a churchgoer. Someone who sat faithfully in the seats for years, but not really moved beyond that posture. And some would tell a story of mediocrity. I've not done much. I've not given much. I've not participated in much. I just kind of am. And maybe, maybe your story is one of regret. Whether it's a hole of addiction that's been tough to climb out of. A memory of an aborted child. Infidelity and a relationship. There's something in our past, in our story, that we've allowed to define us. And here's what I hope, hope that we'll know today. That all of us have a story. All of us have a past. 
but we also have a present and we most definitely have a future. And God is still at work. You see, this idea of stones is nothing new. It's something, uh, the reason we're talking about stones is because they've been a foundational element in the history of the church. We've seen them for the ages. They've told stories of God's faithfulness for thousands of years. They've told stories of God's redeeming love of his grace. Ben pointed out a few weeks ago how stones would be stacked together to, stel- to tell a story, to remember what God has done. Stones would be piled to celebrate trajectory-changing history. They would be piled together to create all They would be piled together to create churches. And something amazing that I love is we have some of that history right here at Mountain Christian Church. Perhaps you've seen it before. Whatever campus you attend, if you've ever driven down 152, you've seen the stack of stones called Walker Chapel. And can you believe that that stack of stones has been there for 70 years? 70 years ago, a bunch of people said, we are going to stack some stones and we are going to build this church. And it's been an amazing 70 years. But it's only been 70 years, right? I mean, 70 years isn't that long ago, but at the same time, man, it has been 70 years. That is so long ago. And what we know when we look back at the history of Mountain Christian Church, Walker Chapel was this trajectory setting moment. It was this inflection point in the ministry here at Mountain. And you're not gonna believe this, you ready? There were some people around Almost 70 years ago when we built Walker Chapel, guess what? They're still here today. Like that's a long time, right? Man, they've been around. And one of those people, her name is Doris. She was born and raised here at Mountain Christian Church. And she wants to share just a little bit of the story of Walker Chapel. I want you to check this out. My dad only got to the eighth grade in school. No matter what your education is, you can do such great work for the Lord. Dr. Walker chose uh, the elders to select the chairman of this building committee, and it was my dad. Now, the reason I know so much about it, my dad had a national business then, and I was his secretary's right-hand person. And so I worked right with dad and Dr. Walker as they went about the project of building this church. And what my dad wanted was the best church that could, the best building that could ever be built up there. He always thought that nothing was too good for the Lord. He proceeded to want the masonry to be stone, where the rest of the building committee voted, and they said, no, no, stone's too expensive. We're going with a brick building. Well, my dad was not happy. He just said, okay, I've got it made. I will pay the difference between the brick masonry and the stone. We began the building in 54, and like I say, it was completed in 56. And when it was completed, we had a huge amount of money that we owed on it. And so we had to have a mortgage retirement committee that would lead us through getting this building paid for. And what the people at Mountain said, especially I'm sure the leaders, They said, Albert, it was your idea to have this big expensive building. We think you should be the debt retirement committee chairman. And so my dad readily agreed that he would like to do that. And just eight short years later, we had it paid for in full, the $260,000. And uh, as we finished the building, we left down in the little old building that we had been worshiping in, 
and we walked up singing praises and walked into the new building. And then the eight years later when the building was paid for, we did another walk and we walked out the door and again, we sung praises to God. I mean, think of the strength it took to go from that little church to that big one. And that's the kind of strength that the church is expected to have today, that God wants from us today. That kind of strength, which comes, of course, from a deep faith. One of the biggest challenges that we had with uh, getting people on board to go with this idea of this new building was the complacency. Everybody was pretty happy where they were. They knew most everybody personally, and it really made it hard to get them to move and to make a commitment to do something else. But actually, as tough as it was, they still did go ahead and make pledges, and that is how we got it paid for. We're not doing anything different today. Even with our Unleashed Love that's gone on, I couldn't help but compare what I had to say with what's going on today. I'm talking about the past, but uh, the future has the exact same uh, building programs in it and programs to pay for our buildings. So I think it's very apropos that right here in the middle of the Unleashed Love thing, we're talking about how we unleashed love that made it possible for people to worship up in Walker Chapel. I love Doris's story uh, because it's not so much about what they built then. It's about what God's done with it since. You see, 70 years ago, a bunch of people decided they would stack some stones. They would be generous. They would pitch in to create this new, split, this new space that would work to defeat the enemy. Right? They decided they were going to be on mission. They were going to build a spiritual house of sorts. And I love this story because a bunch of folks decided they would be faithful They would follow Jesus and they would allow Christ to penetrate their lives, not that they would just build a building, but that they would be God's church. And sure, it took radical generosity. It took sacrifice to create the building. And because of that, we have this beautiful structure today, a great historical landmark, but it was so much more than that. The story that those stones could tell of each person who's walked into that building and been changed by the grace of Jesus. The story of Doris and her family, years of being on mission, saying we're not going to be complacent. We are going to be alive and moving in our community so that more people may come to know the Lord. And since then, we've added a three-story educational wing. We stacked some stones, and God's church grew. A few years later, in 1994, we created Cook Auditorium. We stacked some more stones, and God's church grew. And then a few years later, it led us to build this building called the NLC, where we're broadcasting from right now. And we stacked some more stones, and God's church grew. And then God led us to become a multi-site church. One church in multiple locations all throughout our county, each distinct in some way, but in the same way connected through our DNA, through our rich heritage and history, through what God is doing, through, through our leadership and mission and vision, all aligned and in sync, that God would call us to go and make more and better disciples. And we know it's not all about what happens in the church building, right? These four walls where stones are stacked are meant to pull us together, to encourage us and equip us to send us out. But God called us to be a multi-site church. And so we decided we'd go for it. 
And we launched, all right, Bel Air campus, you better get ready to make some noise, okay? We launched a few years later, our first campus. Now we're one church in two locations at the Bel Air campus, now meeting in the Arena Club. And then just a couple of years later, Edgewood, it's your turn. We can't hear you here, but you better be making some noise, all right? Edgewood, we decided we'd launch something that's both fully community center and fully God's church. And somehow they work together and we launched our Edgewood campus. And it's been amazing ever since. We stacked some stones and God's church grew. And I don't know if you know this, but recently we had, we had another baby, okay? I think that's the best way to describe it. You might know somebody that's had a baby. Uh, maybe you yourself have had a baby. And you know what's exciting, right? You celebrate like every little milestone. The moment they're born, yay, baby's born. And then their first poop, you're like, yay, first poop. First time they eat solid food. But you know what people do when they have ba- they, like they, they measure everything in the shortest terms possible to try and hang on to it. So we're three days old, yeah. And then we're seven days old. We've hit a week, people, right? And then you start counting by weeks. And those of us who aren't good at math are just confused. And we're like, hey, give it... Give it a smaller metric here, okay? And then you hit the month. You're like, all right, one month old. And then I, I got to tell you all, today, today is a special day. I don't know if you know this or not, but um, today we are celebrating. You ready for this? Abingdon Campus, you better holler, right? Today we are celebrating that we are one church in four locations, and we are officially, Abingdon Campus is two months old. Let's celebrate that together. Right, that's exciting stuff, right? We are two months old, and I gotta tell you, this campus is already stacking stones, and God's church is growing. We're seeing it, we're experiencing it. And when we decided we were gonna launch this campus, we thought, you know, we want something that's gonna pull us back historically. It's gonna give us those deep, rich ties that we have to the stone. And so I caught wind of this story about how Ben was talking to the elders. And he's like, wouldn't it be cool if we had some sort of feature wall inside this new building uh, that, that represented the stone? And so I called Ben up. I was like, hey, I heard you had this great idea. Tell me about it. Something with stone. And Ben's response was something like, I did? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I did. I totally did. Great idea. Run with it. And so we called up our designer and she found this stone. And next thing I know, there's two walls inside of this new campus. And I watched this guy come in, the guy who put the stone on the walls and he spread it all around the floor. It was this ugly mess. But then he started to piece it to the wall. He started to stack the stones. And now we have this beautiful wall right when you walk into the campus that looks like this. And it's a wall of stone that says unleash love on it connecting us back to our rich heritage, our history, the DNA of what God's been doing for so long here around Mountain. What I love is these aren't just stones of the past. No, these stones, these stones, they speak. And they're telling stories of what's happening right now. Hundreds of people every single weekend gathering together in the name of Jesus. About a thousand people a weekend over the last eight weekends are coming together at the Abingdon campus. Hundreds of people who are brand new to church or walking through the doors, never having experienced church before, coming in and, and, and belonging with God's people. Marriages are, are already being restored. Addictions are being overcome. God is doing an amazing work. And the thing I love about Doris's story is the same thing I love about our story. It's not just about building a building. Yeah, we decided we were going to stack some stones, but that we were also going to be living stones. We were gonna live out the call of what God has, has pulled us into to unleash love. Doris wasn't just gonna sit by stagnant and complacent because Christ doesn't just call us to build buildings. No, he calls us to be 
his church. You see, all the way back in Matthew 16, Jesus sets the stage for his church. He'd been traveling with his disciples for a while. They'd been seeing all that Jesus had done, and now had come the time for Jesus to share like the full picture of the plan. Right? They'd been having a good time. They'd seen Jesus perform miracles. They'd seen him heal people. They had heard the amazing stories and all the great teachings that he had shared. And now came the time that Jesus had to tell them, okay, it's not all fun and games. Something's gonna change. I've gotta die. It's coming. But before he's ready to tell them that, he knows that he needs to be sure that they get it, that they truly get who he is. See, at this point, no one has mustered up the words, that, okay, this is definitely God in flesh, right? No one said it out loud yet, but it's time to decide. Do we understand? Do we know? And so Jesus decides it's time to ask. And we see this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, this is important for a couple of reasons, okay? Caesarea Philippi was a key cornerstone in pagan worship. It was the home of cultic gods, of false gods. It's where sin ran rapid. And Jesus, not by accident, strategically chose to pick this place to ask his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And his disciples respond, and they say this. Some say you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Maybe, you, maybe you've been here before where you've had somebody ask you a question, and they didn't really ask it super direct, and so you didn't know how to answer it, and you kind of beat around the bush. Like just the other day, my little seven-year-old Isaac came upstairs with an empty can of Silly String, and I said, dude, where's the Silly String? Well, I think there might be some in the backyard, and maybe some downstairs, maybe some in, in my sister's hair. I think I saw the dog eating some. Like, I'm, I'm, no, Isaac, what did you do with the Silly String? Oh, okay, okay, I see what you're asking. It's almost like Jesus had to clarify a little bit more. They were kind of beating around the bush, and he says, no, 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 but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? It's a question we all need to answer. And Peter, kind of being the spokesman for the group, he steps up and he says it. The moment Jesus had been waiting for Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the one that history has groaned and waited for, the son of the living God, rubbing dirt in the face of the altar of the false gods that he is sitting at in Caesarea Philippi. He makes his declaration of faith that Jesus, you, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Finally, their confession has been made. And Jesus goes on and he says this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, on this stone, I will build my church and the gates of Hades that we are standing at right now will not overcome it. Jesus is making a declaration that the church is coming, that God is alive and well. And Peter's confession is gonna be the foundation of the entire thing that people can be made new again because they believe that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Fast forward to Acts chapter two and we find Peter on the day of Pentecost with people gathered all around, people from every background, young, old, black, white, male, female, and Peter steps up after having experienced the resurrected Jesus. 
preaching and sharing the good news of God. And you see, there were people there that day. Each one with a story. Some more difficult than others. Some better than others. But each with a story. And Peter shares the good news. And what we see is that God's people start to respond. And they say, okay, what must we do? We've heard the good news. And it says many responded and got baptized in that very moment. You see, once we hear the good word of Jesus, thus the church begins. Peter reveals this to all of these people and thousands accept Christ. And God's church starts to form one stone at a time, one person at a time. And here's the deal. What did they do after that? They didn't go and immediately build a building. Yeah, that came and it was important, but they just started living it out because the church is them. The word church, translated as ecclesia, means the called out ones. Those who have been called to live in a different way, being stacked together one at a time to become God's church. Peter, at the start of this movement, said we are called to live for Christ. And if these stones could speak as they speak about God's first people, oh, they would have a story to tell. Because the book of Acts is riddled with God's church on the move, stacking stones and God's church growing. Paul tells us in Ephesians, you are no longer foreigners or strangers in this land. No, you're no longer stones that are just tossed about, discarded all over the place, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. As we stack stones, we build his spiritual house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And catch this, with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. There's that old song, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Christ alone, cornerstone. A stone put in place that's strong, that can't be moved. That's the foundation by which our stones should be stacked. And the call was simple at the first church in Acts 2. It was to go and be living stones, to live out what God has called us to do. And we see that stones start getting stacked on the cornerstone of Jesus. All these stones start to speak and they say, we live for Christ and Christ alone and we will live that call out. But here's what I know to be true, right? These stones... They have a past. I mean, Peter, man, Peter had a past. If these stones were talking about Peter, they would have a story to tell. You know, they would talk about the arrogant, the loudmouth disciple, the uneducated, unlikely leader, the one who Jesus rebuked and shortly after calling Jesus Messiah, turned his back on him, not once, not twice, but three times, right? They would have a story to tell about Peter's past, but they would also have a story to tell about his future. The future that we see in Acts 2, where he radically leads the way for God's new church. That despite his inadequacy and his failures, he says, every day I will try to live like a living stone stacked on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And thus God's church grows. You see, you really have two options here. You can be a stone. You can be motionless, 
dead, discarded in the quarry, left in the field, buried beneath the dirt, just sitting there, dead and ugly. This stone by itself, it's nothing. It's boring. It has no future. It's useless. But when this stone is picked up and it's placed on the foundation with the other stones, because something beautiful. You see, Walker Chapel, the stones that line the sides of it, spread out individually. They're useless. They're nothing. They're boring. But when they're stacked together, they create something amazing and something beautiful. Stone can be a stone that's full of life. It can be full of character. It can be full of purpose. It can have a future. It can be a living stone. You see, later on in Peter's life, Uh, further on in his ministry, he, he talks about this very thing. Here's what he says. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, right? Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, okay, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We follow Jesus's example. He came as the living stone. And because of that, the overflow is that you also, we also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, God calls us to live like living stones, picked up and placed on the foundation of the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of a living God. So we have a choice. You know, we can live like a stone. We could be dead and useless, not doing much of anything. We can live like a stone that's discarded, motionless, making no impact, scattered on the ground. Peter could have found himself here like this stone. Or... We can be living stones, connected to Christ as the cornerstone, living in his world, but on mission for God's kingdom, inviting others to join us and building on the foundation that Christ first started. You know, as we started this new campus, man, it's been fun. And we've gotten to see some of it. It's it's had moments of difficulty for sure. But for the most part, the Abingdon campus, and as we've launched it, we've gotten to see story after story of dead stones, useless stones coming to life and building God's spiritual house. And I wish I could share all of those stories with you today, but I got time for just a couple. And the first one is my friends Sean and Claire. I want you to check out their story. I'm Sean, and this is my wife, Claire. We have two little boys, Noah and Owen, and uh, we've been at Mountain for about a year and a half now. What brought us to Mountain was really we were having some problems with just trying to find a church, trying to find somewhere that we wanted to be at. So driving down 152, we saw Mountain, and we said, hey, let's just go there and try it out. The moment we walked in, we felt like it was home. All the couples were our age. There was a lot of kids. There was it just kind of fit perfectly. Like even just that first time we walked in and I just kind of was like, I love this. I was like, this, this is perfect. As soon as the Abingdon campus was announced, my wife and I knew that we needed to get out of the seats and, and we needed to start serving. It kind of lit a spark in our family and it, it, it was kind of that, that push that we needed. And I think the reason why it was is just because this is our community. This is where we live. This is where I work. And we wanted to, to live and worship and be in our community. We felt like this was home and this was really important to us. 
when the Unleashed Love series came out, we were really excited about it. I think it kind of lit a spark in our, in our family again with just being generous and, and giving. We were able to, you know, put on that card what we wanted to commit to for the next two years, and it kind of holds us accountable. We live paycheck to paycheck, so when we do go through our budget and we allocate everything that we have, it, it's, it's tough, but we make sure that those funds are there. I think one of the most important things for us to remember through the Unleashed Love is that we are giving um, the money that's really not ours anyways. God has a, a certain intention for that money, and I think that's been the thing that we've had to, to focus on and say, you know, it's not ours, it's His, and He's going to use it for what He feels is important. We did a Welcome to Mountain class about a year ago, and I remember sitting in the class, and, and at the end of the class, they talked about, you know, being baptized, and so we decided to get baptized at the Adventist campus at the soft launch, which, and, and my boys were sitting in the front row. Um, it was just a great experience for our family, uh, something that my kids were able to see us. It was a great conversation piece where we were able to kind of talk about it afterwards, you know, what, what, what just happened, why did I choose to do it, why did we choose to do it. So it was just, it, it was a great experience for our family. And I don't think we would be as open to serving and as open to being baptized if it wasn't such a close-knit family here. We see all of these people every day. We see them at, the, at Wegmans, we see them at the baseball field, we see everybody all the time. And I think that when you are going to a church that is in your own community, it just makes me want to be involved that much more because I know I'm helping my neighbors. The only thing I can really say to the people that have started this Unleashed Love commitment and this campus is just thank you. I mean, it has lit a spark and, and so much excitement in our family that I know if we are this excited that the people that are walking through these doors at Abingdon are gonna feel the same way that we feel. They're gonna be excited and it's gonna give them just that extra energy to be able to go out and to reach people in our community. There's a couple of things that I love about their story. Uh, one is, is they say that God lit a spark in us. I like to say that God took a dead stone and made it turn alive. He stacked stones and God's church grew. And they also say thank you. They say thank you to the many who said, you know what, we're not gonna sit complacent, but instead we are gonna be on mission and we're gonna do what it takes to launch a new campus and a new part of our community so that stones could be stacked and that lives could be changed. And so I wanna take a brief moment to say to all of our friends at Mountain Road, at Edgewood Campus, at the Bel Air Campus, thank you. Thank you for stacking stones, for not sitting by complacent, but instead saying we're gonna be on mission and we're gonna unleash love so that we can see dead stones turn to life, being formed on the foundation that Jesus is the Messiah so that God's spiritual house, his church, would continue to be built. Stones were stacked and God's church grew. Stones like my friend Jim. Jim walked into the campus the Tuesday after the big grand opening, shaking, just saying, I need help. I need help overcoming the addictions in my life. He said, I am a dead stone and I don't know what to do. And so we gave him a prescription. Here's the Bible. There's a small group meeting tonight of men that are just like you. There's Celebrate Recovery happening on Friday night. We meet every week together to worship. Do those things, and Jim did, and he got connected to God's church. And I gotta tell you, Jim is now celebrating 30 days. He has a 30-day trip from Celebrate Recovery. Jim's getting baptized soon. Yeah, let's celebrate that. And 
One of my favorite parts of the story, Jim walks in on Tuesday nights to that group and we see a dead stone that has come to life, a smile on his face and those guys hug him and they love him like they've been brothers for years. Or we could tell you about my friend, Michelle. She actually Facebooked messaged me the Thursday before we launched the campus and she said, hey, I've got some history with the church. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm thinking about coming. One, can I come? And two, if I'm coming, I might as well do something, right? And so she showed up. That Sunday, I connected her with Jim, our welcome pastor, and Jen had her, her very first Sunday there, standing at the door, handing out bulletins to everybody who walked in. And this Wednesday, we're celebrating Michelle's baptism, dead stones coming to life. I can tell you about my friend, Lauren. Lauren told me that before she found Jesus, she was depressed, always anxious, But then a friend of hers made the bold invitation to invite her to her small group, and she came. And the next week, we opened the Abingdon campus, and she decided she would check it out. And she came in. She said, you know what? I found Jesus. I'm serving. I'm connected to community. God is doing something in me. And four weeks ago, we got to celebrate another dead stone coming to life as we celebrate Lauren's baptism. Dead stones coming to life. I could tell you about my friend Jeff, who every single weekend, he walks into the campus, and the first thing he does is he comes over to me, and he says, I just want to thank you for having this church and our community, because I am more alive than ever before. I could tell you about my friend Steve. Steve is another guy who has been at Mountain for a long time. He's lived a life of kind of sitting in the seats, but through this campus, God called him to do more, and now he's serving, and he's given of himself, and he's in a community, a small group, and he's inviting people who he works with and who he lives around to know Jesus, to come and to become living stones alive in God's church, building the spiritual household. I could tell you stories of 165 people who are serving for the very first time. I could tell you stories of people who are getting baptized, the seven who are getting baptized this afternoon at the Abingdon Baptism Splash. I could tell you stories of marriages that are already being restored. I could tell you stories of bonds of addiction that are already being overcome. God is doing a amazing things and dead stones once scattered and useless are being stacked and brought to life on the foundation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And there is no better news than that. And so it begs the question, if this stone is telling your story, What story would it tell? It's a sobering question to ask, isn't it? And I bet, I bet every single one of us here have a next step. The story is still being written. We have a past, we have a present, but God most certainly has a future in store for us. And so what's your next step? How do you want your story to unfold? For some of us, it's saying, you know what, God, I need to be on the foundation. I just, just like Peter did, I need to declare that you are the Messiah, the son of living God. I need to say it out loud. Would you, whatever campus you're at today, if that's you, when, as soon as we dismiss, will you come down front and tell somebody that you need to declare that Jesus is the Messiah? And let's celebrate that. Your step might be baptism. Your step might be to get into a group. Just like so many of the stories that I've heard recently, they they revolve around this idea of God's community being together in some sort of intimate way. And small groups are formed and there's people there to encourage you, to build you up, to hold you accountable. 
Maybe for you, your next step is saying, I'm gonna open the doors to my house. I'm gonna allow my neighbors to see that I'm a Christ follower and I'm gonna be on mission in my neighborhood. Maybe for some of you, the, the next piece of your story is to be more generous. You know, we, we talked about this tool that we handed out, the Unleashed Love Commitment Card. And for a lot of us, this is a part of our story to say, God, we want you, just like you use doors, so we're not gonna sit by complacent. No, we are gonna stack some stones so that we can hear stories of dead stones coming to life over and over again. We've been in this thing called Unleashed Love for about a year. And we've got this tool, this opportunity for you to unleash love in a new way. And if you've seen this card before, there's one of three options in here, and all of us fit into one of these three categories. The first one is, I'm new to Unleash Love. Maybe you were here a year ago and you just weren't ready to participate, or maybe you're new to Mountain. You're saying, you know what, yeah, I need to give of myself and be generous. Well, that box is for you. And there's two other boxes. I've already committed to Unleash Love, and I'm going to confirm my commitment. I'm going to finish strong. Or maybe God's blessed you in some new way, and you say, you know what, I want to change my commitment. And I want to do more to stack stones. That's one way. Maybe for some of you, your next step, right, the way you're going to become a living stone is to start serving, to start giving of yourself by hanging out with kids in our kids' ministry and teaching them about Jesus, or standing at the front door and handing out that bulletin, or serving at a great organization like Tabitha's House that we're talking about this weekend. Like, there are all of these ways for us to get connected and to give of ourselves and to prove that just like Jesus was a living stone, we're going to follow in his footsteps and we too will be alive. So here's the question. If this stone is telling your story, what story has it told thus far? But more importantly, what's God have in store for you? It's not too late to become a living stone. Let's pray together. Oh God, I'm so thankful for the foundation of your love for us, that you are the Messiah, that you are the one true living God, and we celebrate that today, God. And we come here today to say, God, we were once dead, but now we are alive because of who you are. So stack us together as your spiritual house and use us in amazing ways to reach your community. God, may we leave here today challenged to realize that we were once dead, but we can be alive in you. And to be alive in you means to follow your example and be alive just as you are. God, lead us in that. God, challenge us to take the next step. It's in your name we pray, amen.